Welcome back, everyone, and thank you for joining us for today's podcast from Dublin First Baptist Church in Dublin, North Carolina. We hope you'll be encouraged today as you listen to our message. For more information, please visit our website at www.dublinfbc.org. That's www.dublinfbc.org. Now let's join the congregation of Dublin First Baptist as we listen to the preaching of God's Word. to Acts chapter 2. That's where we're going to start. And we got a little bit different order of service uh, this morning just because of everything that's going on in praise team. You'll, we're going to have, and congregation will have some more songs while uh, I'm getting ready up there and, and the Laney and Keith and I as well. But um, we're going to start off looking at what these two ordinances are as um, as a church, we have the wonderful privilege this morning of celebrating two of the ordinances that Jesus Christ commanded his church to perform, their acts of praise, their acts of proclamation. In 1 Corinthians 11, a passage that we're going to look at in a little bit, uh, Paul tells the church at Corinth there to keep the ordinances as I delivered them to you. And as Baptists, we have two. We find two in God's word, uh, baptism, believer's baptism, and communion or the Lord's Supper. And um, these are not just liturgical motions that we go through that are scheduled every so often for us to perform. Um, we, at least we ought not let them get that way because as they are designed, there are gifts from Jesus Christ that are truly acts and opportunities for us to praise. I hope we've done that already this morning. And then in doing these uh, two things, uh, communion and baptism, we actually get to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ, what was just sung by Krista and Megan there. Um, they are reminders of Christ's great sacrifice for us. That's what we just heard about uh, in, a, in a song that uh, is very melancholy and, and move you to remember that what we're going to celebrate here is serious. Christ's death to us. But at the same time, it's something we're supposed to celebrate. You know, and so at the end of that song, it said, through the death of Christ, death is destroyed. That's what we're celebrating here. Eternal life that's ours in Jesus Christ. Forgiveness of sins that is ours by God's grace through faith in Jesus Christ. They remind us of his glorious resurrection and ours as well, our spiritual and one day our physical resurrection. And they also remind us of our new identity in Christ. Um, that, that when uh, Keith and Elena get baptized and they go into the water, buried with him in likeness of death, they're not really dying. They're going to come up out of the water, right? Likeness of death, but raised to walk in newness of life. It's a reminder of their new identity with Christ and their new identity uh, with the family of Christ, with the church community, with um, God's, God's people. And so also for those who might be in our congregation or watching on our live stream who haven't trusted Christ as Savior, both communion and baptism are gospel proclamations and invitations for you to respond to the gospel and trust Christ as Savior. So Acts chapter 2, verses 37 to 39, we're going to see the gospel depicted in baptism. We've got two dramatic depictions here this morning. The gospel depicted in baptism, and we're going to read verses 37 to 41. It says, Now when they heard this, they were pricked in their heart and said unto, Jesus, and said unto Peter and to the rest of the apostles, Men and brethren, what shall we do? And Peter said unto them, Repent. And be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the remission of sins, and ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. For the promise is to you and to your children 
and to all that are afar off, even as many as our Lord God shall call. Look at verse 41. It says, Then they that gladly received his word were baptized, and the same day were added unto them about 3,000 souls. What it portrays. What does baptism portray? I mean, why do we do it? Why did God tell us to do it? Why are we commanded as followers of Jesus Christ, once we've trusted him as Savior, why do we do that? A lot of churches don't. They don't do it this way. Why do we believe God's word teaches us to do it this way? Because there's even a pre-church example, right? As, as we look at Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and John, and we see John the Baptist, even before Jesus Christ started his ministry, and definitely before he died and rose again, John the Baptist is baptizing people. And it's the same reason as far as uh, calling people to repentance and what it symbolizes. They had already repented before they entered the water and they got baptized by John the Baptist. They had repented and and we're going to express faith in a coming Messiah. We do it expressing faith in a Messiah who already came and, and that we are trusting him as a savior for our sins and he's coming again. But here's the church one. See in, in Acts chapter 2 here, you just read, we just read in verses 37 and 41, the invitation section. We skipped Peter's message. Peter preached the gospel message there at Pentecost, and he told people that Jesus Christ had come, and he had uh, died for their sins, and he called them to respond and trust in him as a savior for their sins. And it said in verse 37 that they, when they heard this, they, they were pricked in heart. They were convicted, and they said, well, what are we supposed to do? And Peter tells them, verse 38, repent. And then be baptized, every one of you. Here in the King James, it says, for the remission of sins. If you look in the Greek, it, it can mean on account of remission of sins. We don't believe that that water saves you up there. Uh, what Keith and Laney are going to do, that has no saving power later today. It's because they've already been saved. All right, It's a testimony of them have already happened in their life. They've trusted Christ as Savior, and they want to tell every one of you, I follow Jesus, and I'm going to continue to follow Jesus. I'm committing to you that I'm going to do that. I'm asking for your help to do that. I want to let the whole world know what Jesus had done for me. Um, when, when we look at Acts 8, Verse 39, you can turn there if you want. If you, if you don't want to, that's fine as well. This is, you can look at it later today. It's, uh, it's that passage where uh, Philip, one of the disciples, is um, beamed, like literally to another place. And he meets an Ethiopian eunuch out there that's reading the book of Isaiah. And he's reading things about a promised Messiah and trying to figure out how that relates to Jesus. And then there's water there. And he says, what prohibits me from being baptized? And Philip says, well, if you trust Christ with all your heart, if you believe with all your heart, well, then you can be baptized. So we see the order of baptism there. It's not supposed to happen before you've trusted Christ as Savior. Even back here in Acts 2, uh, verse uh, 41, it said, then they that gladly received the word were baptized. So part of being baptized, you need to first gladly receive the word of God. Uh, or in Acts 8, you have to trust Christ as Savior. That's what prohibits you from being baptized, and then you can be baptized. That's, what, that's the order God's word always has for us. It's after conversion. Uh, it, it's, it's post-regeneration, post us being born again. It also gives us the mode there in Acts 8 uh, when it describes Philip baptizing the Ethiopian eunuch. It says that they came up out of the water, which means that they had to be what? in the water, right? So we have a, that's why we dunk people, that and the Greek word for baptism or baptized is, is baptizo, and it means to dunk or to immerse. And so that's why, one reason why we do it, that and that Philip coming out, the Bible telling us that. Also what it pictures, I mean, it pictures Jesus dying, 
being buried. So we go under the water completely and being buried and then, and then him rising again. And our faith in that, that Jesus did that and our union with him through our faith in what Jesus did for us, that's why we go under the water and come up. It symbolizes our new life in Jesus Christ that we're starting fresh, we're starting new, that he's given us new life. That's what it portrays. It's a symbol. It is. No saving power. If you haven't been saved and you go in there, you're just a wet sinner. There's no saving power in that. Uh, but there is sustaining grace. We'll get to that in a second. But the point is that both baptism and, and the Lord's Supper, I usually point down here because we have communion things, but you all have them today. Um, both of those are symbols. But they're powerful symbols. We shouldn't minimize symbols. Symbols are powerful, aren't they? I have one on my finger that I've got corona weight gain, so it's stuck. <laughs> but I have one. This is a powerful symbol, isn't it? You like me to wear that symbol, don't you? Yeah, because it means a lot. Uh, it's round. It means eternity. It symbolizes a lot. It's a commitment that I made to someone. Um, other powerful symbols. Anybody ever see the movie The Patriot with Mel Gibson? I like that one. It's filmed kind of around here, right down south there. But um, at the end, there's a big battle scene. And things aren't going so well for um, Minutemen, for the Patriots. And the flag starts to fall, and they start to retreat. And Mel Gibson's like, no, we're not retreating. He goes, and he grabs that flag, and he runs the flag to the front. And people stop retreating, and they're like, oh, if he's taking the flag, I guess I'll keep fighting. Because that flag's symbolic, right? It's just a flag. He didn't even have to say a word. He just went. Symbols are important. Even on our uniforms when we were in the military, uh, we have a flag on each shoulder. And one kind of looks backwards. On that side, it's not backwards. Why, why is it backwards from how we usually see it? Scott, why is it backwards? It's always going forward, right? The flag's always going forward. That, that blue side always needs to be going forward. Symbols are really, really important. We shouldn't minimize them just because they're symbols. So that's what it portrays. It portrays our faith and what Jesus Christ has done for us. The gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, what does it provide? Sustaining grace, not saving grace. That only comes one way. Our salvation only happens by God's grace and through our faith in Jesus Christ. That's what God's word says. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. But it does provide sustaining grace. It helps us keep on. Anytime we obey God, we get sustaining grace, whether it's by obeying God in baptism, by participating in communion, by reading God's word, by praying, by coming to church and being in this fellowship of his body, his family, not forsaking that, encouraging each other, um, even during the week, encouraging your brother and sister in Christ. Anytime you obey Jesus, you're going to get sustaining grace, and that's what it's going to provide for Laney and for Keithan, sustaining grace. And for us here too, right? Us who have already been saved and we've already been baptized. It reminds us, I remember that day. Please don't spectate later. When you see them up there, remember that day when he called you and he said, come on, believe. And you responded. You saw the power of that awesome scene. <laughs> and you felt the power of the Savior's love. And you said, he did what? He died for me? So my sins could be washed away and you trusted in his grace when you take communion, when you watch that baptism this morning, remember that. So it's sustaining grace for even you and I who are witnessing it and what Christ has done in our lives. And then it's also, we're excited and we're celebrating what Christ has done in Laney and Keithan's life. We can't believe it. We're so excited. And um, it's also 
an opportunity for someone who may be here, who may be watching, who hasn't trusted Christ. Because these are literally sermons that are going on. So I'm going to try to keep this one short because you're going to get two more, right, in communion and in baptism. But they're literally sermons that are inviting people to trust Christ as Savior. And often it also places people in the body of Christ. When we have younger um, ones, I always ask them if they want to be a member. But to be a member of Dublin First Baptist Church, um, you have to be voted in by the church body because we're congregational in government. And you, um, you have to be saved and you have to be baptized. That's one of the Baptist distinctives. We believe you need to be saved, baptized, and then you get voted in. And so often that will happen. Once somebody gets baptized, they get voted in. It's important for us to connect and be part of that body. It, it provides us with opportunities for service. It provides us with accountability to each other. We promise there's a church covenant in the hall. I'd encourage you to don't walk by it, read it. This is what you've promised to do for each other and what I've promised to do for you. That we're going to hold each other accountable and love each other and lift each other up and help each other progress toward Christ-likeness. All right, now I want you to look at 1 Corinthians 11, verse 23 to 26. Because we're going to have our communion section uh, first when we celebrate that. And then we're going to do the baptisms. But if you'll turn with me to 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 11, verses We'll look at verses 23 to 26 first. This is where Paul uh, gives the church of Jesus Christ uh, in Corinth and then also us descriptions about how to celebrate communion or the Lord's Supper. This is a second dramatic depiction. Much like baptism, there's so many things that are interrelated between the two and their purpose and what they are communicating to us. Now, in the synoptic gospels, that's Matthew, Mark, and Luke. They're called synoptic because they're very much alike. Sometimes things are a little bit out of order, but they all talk about the same things. Matthew, Mark, and Luke, we have the record of Jesus instituting communion or the Lord's Supper. That's why we do this. That last supper meal. He, he did that. Right before he gave his life for us, he celebrated what was then the Jewish Passover meal, and this became our Lord's Supper or communion meal. Uh, it's a celebration of him giving his body and blood as a substitutionary sacrifice for you and I when we place our trust and our faith in his grace. Verses 23 and 24 says, For I have received of the Lord... That which I also delivered unto you, that the Lord Jesus, the same night in which he was betrayed, he took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, take, eat. This is my body, which is broken for you. This do in remembrance of me. Paul says that he uh, received this of the Lord. Well, Paul wasn't there in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. How did he receive it of the Lord? I don't know. God's word says he did. Uh, maybe sometime after Paul was called to trust Christ as Savior on that road to Damascus, we know he went out in the desert for a while and, and, and um, studied God's word and things were revealed to him then. Uh, that might be it. But all I know is God told, through the Holy Spirit, God told Paul, this is how you're supposed to do the Lord's Supper. Uh, and, and that you should uh, understand that it is, it is a symbol, it is a remembrance, it is a memorial. In verse 24, when we take that bread, as we'll do in a few minutes here, and we eat it, it's a memorial of the body of Christ that was broken for us. You think back to Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, when you remember what Christ went through, the agony during his trial, all the way up to the time he was nailed to the cross. Maybe you've seen movies like The Passion of the Christ. As we're celebrating this, even right now, this should remind us of what Christ did for us, the great sacrifice he gave us. And then in, in verse 25, 
He also talks about the cup that symbolized his blood, and we drink it as a remembrance. Uh, after the same manner also, he took the cup which he had supped, saying, this cup is a new testament, or it's the new covenant in my blood. This do ye as oft as ye drink it in remembrance of me. So another dramatic depiction, a memorial, even a, a testimony. You know, as we participate in communion, we're saying, I've trusted Jesus Christ as Savior when we take this. And we're saying, I continue to do it. Like even right now, as I'm doing it, I continue to trust you. And, and you alone, there's a salvation for my sins. And your body shed, uh, your blood shed for me. Uh, verse 26, we're not told how often to do this. It just says, for as often as you do this. Some churches do it weekly. I've, I've met churches that they do this every week. There's nothing wrong with that. It doesn't tell us how often to do it. As an independent, local, autonomous body at Dublin First Baptist Church, we decided to do it at least quarterly. And so I think it's important to do it. When you see that, it's a dramatic depiction. And what it portrays and what it provides, we definitely should do at least quarterly. I think that's good. Um, But it's not just a reminder of what he did for us. Look at the end of verse 26. When you do it, you show the Lord's death till he what? Till he comes. And so this isn't just a Savior who died. It's a Savior who rose again. And it's a Savior who's coming again. I don't know about you, but that could happen today, and I'd be just fine with it. He's coming again. That's what we celebrate here. And this is what it reminds us we look toward. Uh, Some people call it the Lord's Supper. Some people call it communion. I've used both terms here, Um, both biblically proper names. I do like the idea of communion because I think it communicates the idea that when we participate in this dramatic depiction, that um, it's something that we are reminded we're to be done in community. And so I, as I looked out there at A45 service and we did this, it's been a rough four months for community. But I saw cars of people who said, Jesus is everything to me, even though they were separated by cars and some were out in chairs and 90 degree heat because community was important. And you're here this morning because community is important. Um, you're here to show support to a couple of people who you care a lot about because community is important. And, and communion does that. It's not just our union with Jesus Christ that it celebrates, but it's also our union with each other. And we need to celebrate that. God put us into a family. Um, yes, we're saved. He's our personal Savior, but he's our personal Savior together. God's redeemed us together. I'm so glad he's put us in that body. What does it provide? Same thing baptism provides, not saving grace. When you drink that juice, you're drinking juice. When you eat that little wafer, you're eating a wafer. But what does it provide you? Not saving grace, but just like baptism, yes, it provides you sustaining grace. Anytime we obey God, it does that. It helps us persevere. It helps us endure. It helps us continue in a faith that we've already come to. It doesn't save us. It's just a celebration of what he's already done for us. It's to sustain what he already started. You know how it does that? We live in a world that's so many messages coming at us all the time. It's so noisy. And for a moment here this morning, we're going to have a directed and focused and concentrated gaze. Hopefully we already have on what Jesus has done through us. Through a dramatic depiction. I love preaching. I think that's God's method for, for truth to be communicated in, in corporate worship services at least once a week is preaching. Preaching's a good thing. But God's given us a gift because sometimes we need to hear a sermon in a different way. And we're going to hear one up there, and we're going to hear one as we celebrate the Lord's Supper together. 
Two powerful portrayals of what Jesus has done for us. Two dramatic sermons in visible form that are calling you to two faith-based responses. Now, I want to focus in on a few verses here in 1 Corinthians 11, just before we have, um, I'm going to ask Scott Bell and Dane to uh, come, if you can sit on the front pew here and ask a blessing on the cup and the bread in a little, in a minute or two. But here in 1 Corinthians 11, uh, in verses 27 to 34, we've got a warning uh, regarding participating in this ordinance in an unworthy manner. And so God put this in there, and it's significant. We need to pay attention to it. Verse 27, Who, Wherefore, whosoever shall eat this bread and drink this cup of the Lord unworthily shall be guilty of the body and blood of the Lord. But let a man examine himself, and so let him eat of that bread and drink of that cup. For he that eateth and drinketh unworthily eateth and drinketh damnation to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. And for this cause, many are weak and sickly among you, and many sleep. For if we would judge ourselves, we should not be judged. But when we are judged, we are chastened of the Lord, that we should not be condemned with the world. Wherefore, my brethren, when you come together to eat or to celebrate this, tarry one for another, Make sure you're being humble and serving one another. Verse 34, if any man hunger, let him eat at home, that ye may not together, that ye come not together unto condemnation, and the rest I will set in order when I come. All right, so here's the warning. The warning uh, is not to participate in this in an unworthy manner. And that can happen one of two ways. First of all, that you haven't trusted Christ as Savior, because this is for his redeemed. It's something for his redeemed to actually enjoy and celebrate and, and participate in. It's for those who have already been saved. It doesn't save you. It's for those who have been saved. It's for those who have already placed their faith and trust in Jesus Christ. And so if you haven't done that, please do so. <laughs> you can do that even now. This morning, we're going to have a time of invitation before we, um, a time of, of uh, contemplation meditation on what Christ has done for us. And during that time, if you haven't trusted Christ as Savior, I, I pray that you do it right where you are. Or if you have any questions, you can come forward and I'd be happy this church would celebrate with you if you would trust Christ as Savior today. But because of this warning, uh, I, I have a responsibility, according to God's word, to tell you that if you don't know Christ as Savior, if you're not a follower of Jesus Christ, if you're not a Christian, this isn't for you. Just watch, just listen. We'd encourage you to do that. The, the second way, um, one might participate in this ordinance in an unworthy manner, is that if you're a Christian who has unconfessed sin in your life, like you're just like, God's shown you it, and you're like, no, nah, I'm, not, I'm not dealing with that right now, God. Um, according to God's word, um, that, that's not something that we should be participating in when we're in that state. Now, how do you fix that? Very simple. <laughs> you confess your sin to him. First John 1 John 1.9 tells us that if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins. You can do it right now before we even have an invitation to know the grace that we're celebrating. I mean, that's what we're celebrating, the grace of God to us in Jesus Christ. And so if there's something in your life, um, I, I pray that you would confess it. I, I want everybody to participate who's a believer. I want everybody um, who's not a believer to become one. I want everybody who is a believer and who has sin in their life. This is a great tool. Don't think like, oh boy, I got to get things right. This is God's gift to you and enabling you to make things right so that you can celebrate it. God calling us to repentance. Uh, that's what our Christian life should be. But if you can't do that, I'll be honest with you. There's been times when I couldn't in my past. There was things in my heart I just couldn't give up. I wasn't ready to deal with and I had to let it go by. Really uncomfortable when you're a deacon. I had to do it, all right? Um, but I don't learn from my mistake. Don't be like me. 
All I had to do was right then and there confess. <laughs> God would have forgiven it. Why was I so stubborn? Let's let, let God have it. Because we're going to sing here. I'm going to ask Tommy and the praise team to come up. We're going to sing um, three verses of Jesus paid it all. I can't think of an invitation song that is more gospel-centric and focused on what God has done for us than that right there. And so as we sing three verses, give it to God this morning. Sing it as I believe in this gospel that we're, I'm singing about. And I'm asking you, you know what? I have them in my life. I'm letting it go. Or I haven't trusted you and I'm trusting you. Please do that this morning as we sing those three verses and then we'll celebrate communion together.